This is TSFPN.com, the Sci-Fi Podcast Network. You found the best podcast in the universe. It's August 10th, and you're listening to a special edition of The Secrets. Welcome to this podcast of The Secrets, the podcast for anyone who is serious about writing. The Secrets home can be found at www.stormwolf.com. For the next 15 minutes, we'll talk about writing and how to get you even closer to seeing your name on the spine of a book. Welcome to part one of this special edition of The Secrets. I'm Michael A. Stackpole, author and your host for The Secrets series of podcasts. These podcasts are an outgrowth of my writing newsletter, The Secrets. If you visit www.stormwolf.com, you'll find sample issues to download and a way to subscribe. This mini-series takes an in-depth look at first chapters, what should be in them, why certain things are done, and how best to handle aspects of them. Setting up a solid first chapter is vitally important to ensuring the rest of the novel will flow along the lines you desire. It would be fruitless to discuss first chapters without using an example. For our example, I've chosen the first chapter of my novel, A Secret Atlas. It might seem rather self-serving for me to choose my own work for analysis, and I do want to sell lots of copies of the book, but I actually know why I did the things I did in there. Analyzing anyone else's first chapter would be a lot of guesswork, and guesswork you can do on your own. To get the most out of this podcast, then, you should buy a copy of A Secret Atlas. Actually, if you buy it, you'll get a lot more out of this podcast. Or you can borrow it from a friend or the library, or you can even run over to my website and download an audio file of the first chapter at www.stormwolf.com sound ASA01.mp3. Please note, if you choose to listen to the audio file as opposed to having the text in front of you, you won't get as much out of this podcast. There are things you'll see on the page that you'll never hear in the audio file, and this stands to reason. The story was written to be read, not read aloud and listened to. Therefore, the audio file lacks a bit as a teaching tool. So, go get your reading material, and we'll be right back after we pay some bills. Patrick McLean here with another installment of Interview with a Zombie. Say hello to the folks, Bob. I tell you folks, Bob here just won't shut up about the Shanaki podcast. He's crazy about this unique, innovative approach to storytelling. Good point, Bob. There is a new episode every week. But Bob, as much as you love this podcast, we've had some emails from people using iTunes. Seems that they just don't know how to spell in Gaelic. So, Bob, how do you spell the name Shanaki? Well, there you go. Straight from the zombie's mouth. Shanaki. S-E-A-N-A-C-H-A-I. Oh, right, right. The Shanaki is also available at goodwordsrightorder.com. First chapters are vital for more reasons than just without them there would be no place to begin. A good first chapter provides the reader with a sense of the book, its energy, the nature of the storytelling, the world and the characters, and the conflicts inherent in the world. The first chapter is a microcosm of what will follow. Yet it's more than an overture, because what happens in it is an integral part of the novel. Let there be no question about it. First chapters are hard to get right. In fact, they're gotten wrong more often than not. Perhaps fortunately for readers, books with bad first chapters seldom get published, or, if they do, 
the editor has insisted that the author add a prologue or reorder the chapters so the original first chapter is buried deeper in the book. Sometimes that first chapter has even been cut entirely. First and foremost, first chapters sell the book to an editor. It's been said that a writer has to hook an editor by the bottom of the first page or the book will be discarded. There is some truth to this because the editor, like any reader, will put a book down the moment interest flags. A first chapter must introduce characters who will be central to the story. It's best if it focuses on one or two of them, preferably one, because this allows the reader to concentrate on the characters. The characters and how the reader feels about them will determine whether or not they read further. This means that first chapter must provoke a reaction to the character, for good or ill doesn't matter, as long as the reaction is emotional and strong. The first chapter must provide a sense of the world, but it has to be a glimpse, not a graduate level seminar course. The dreaded core dump of info about a world will kill a book dead no matter where it's dropped, but it's especially noxious in the first chapter. It's better to show the world working as it always does without explanation than to cross all the T's and dot all the I's. Curiosity will pull a reader further into the story, and that's the object of the exercise after all. A first chapter should introduce the conflicts in the world and for the main characters. This is where readers find the on-ramp to the story's plot. Granted, if your story is a grand good versus evil epic, you'll probably not have your hero and the villain squaring off on page one. But by the end of the chapter, we ought to know there are good and evil forces in the world that are aligned to hammer each other later on. Lastly, a first chapter should pose and leave unanswered a few questions that will drive the reader to read more. These questions are most effective when they address a character. If the author has characterized the characters well enough that the reader is able to project a future for them, the reader will continue to read to learn if his guess is correct. If you can put all these elements into your first chapter while avoiding common mistakes, you stand an excellent chance of getting readers further into the book. Moreover, to set these things up correctly, you'll need to know enough about the book that you should iron out most of the problems likely to crop up later on. One other quick note. A lot of novels feature multiple viewpoint characters, and they each have their own plot lines. This means you will have more than one first chapter, since each character will get his own first chapter. The rules for these other chapters are the same as with those for the true first chapter, with a slight bit of modification. In subsequent firsts, you pick up on threads from the chapters that precede them, instead of returning to ground zero and boring everyone with the same material they've seen before. In the next segment is when we'll burrow into a secret atlas. Please read over the first chapter or listen to it right now. After you've listened to the rest of this podcast series, you'll want to reread and listen again anyway. But a first read will make what follows a lot more clear. Hi, this is Scott Fletcher from Podcheck Weekly Review at Podcheck.com, and you're listening to one of the most informative podcasts for authors in the entire podcastosphere. This is the Secrets Podcast. With your host, Michael Stackpole. Go vote for him at podcastalley.com. Spread the word, baby. The secrets. Ooh, the secrets. Ooh, the secrets. So, Michael, email me back. I got this great idea for this erotic sci-fi book. Although, Michael, why, why aren't you emailing me back, man? Nobody's returning my calls. What? Welcome back to the final segment of this first special report. Let's start right in. On the printed page, the first thing you have is a boxed block of text that tells you the date and location where the following action is taking place. This block isn't necessary in every book, 
but was put here because the book's action is going to be all over the place and provides us a lot of good information. Crucial among that is the current month, which has 32 days. This means that the Fantasy World calendar and our calendar is not the same. The months and years are named after animals. We also learn that we have dynasties, that a prince is running a nation, and that over seven centuries before the action starts, there was something called the Cataclysm. If you will, this box text inverts the whole journalism trick of leading with who, where, and when. While you have that information, you have no context in which to place the answers to those questions, so the questions remain, and the reader wants to learn the significance of all that material. Moreover, the mystery of the Cataclysm and wondering why they would date time from then is a big question that we do have to answer. A lot of writers suggest that the very first line of a story should be a hook. It should get the reader stuck fast so they'll want to go on further into the story almost immediately. The best first line I ever had in a novel was, I didn't attend my funeral, but I've watched the video a number of times. The internal conflict in that sentence produces a lot of questions that it takes the rest of the book to answer. The first line here isn't that sort of hook, nor do we find that hook until the last sentence of the chapter itself. Still, the paragraph ends with a statement that urges the reader onward. Why is Moriandi the greatest city in the world? We also learn that Moraventolo, clearly the main character since he's named and the others are not, is traveling with at least three others, including a very old man. Why they're traveling together is another question to be answered. The rest of that first page is scene setting, providing a majestic view of the city. We also learn folks are pilgrims, which suggests they have a united purpose in traveling. We learn the city has nine towers, and this is the first real mention that starts the significance of the number nine throughout the series and the world. At the bottom of the page, we learn that Moriandi has grown, and this reflects a change in the world. Moreover, we're told, wild magic has decreased. Moriandi is a symbol of hope, and that folks fear a return to the time of black ice. That certainly sounds bad, and might be linked with the cataclysm. We also learn here that there's been a victory over magic and superstition, which leads readers to wonder how magic is perceived in the world. It must be noted right here that in a fantasy novel, magic is a key component. Introducing it early is very important. A fantasy novel without magic is like a Sherlock Holmes story without Holmes or Watson. It doesn't work. This is why magic is mentioned here so quickly because prior to this, all we have is a historical novel in a make-believe land. As we go on, we learn the old man has made the pilgrimage before, 81 years before, in fact. We get the emphasis on cycles of nine. We're told it's the ninth year of the current prince's reign, and that the grandfather hopes to capitalize on this good fortune. Why, one has to wonder, so the reader reads further. That second paragraph on page two is also important for another reason. It establishes that the grandfather was in this spot 81 years earlier. In the discussion of nines, this fact is well hidden, but it is very important to the end of the chapter. The setup here gives the last line its impact. Below that, we learn the man's name, vital since calling him the old man for the rest of the chapter would have been really confusing. We also learn why he's made the journey. His grandson is deformed, and he's hoping the boy will be healed in the capital. Given the way the kid develops in this chapter, most readers will wonder if he gets healed too, so they'll read on to get the answer. We also learn the boy wants to be a swordsman just like Moravin, which establishes that Moravin is a swordsman and that wandering swordsmen are held in some esteem. 
This goes to expanding the world and fixing Moravan in it. Page 3 gives us a mention of the Lady of Jet and Jade, and there's a lot of sexual innuendo there. Sex is always good for sparking interest. Further on, we introduce another pilgrim and cover the practices of making offerings to the gods throughout the journey. This establishes religion as being important in the world on one level or another. This also allows us to characterize a lot of the characters depending upon how they deal with the gods. Lastly, it's a place we get to discuss their relative wealth. And that's important because of what's coming up next, Highwaymen. And we'll get into that in our next show. Thanks for listening to this special edition of The Secrets. We'll be back in a week with more from The Secrets, including the second half of this essay about first chapters. This podcast is copyright 2005, Michael A. Stackpole. See you in a week. Good luck with your writing. We're back with another exciting installment of Interview with a Zombie. My guest today is the zombie formerly known as Bob. Bob, before the break, you were telling us about your love for the sci-fi podcast network, tsfpn.com. Why, yes, Bob, it certainly does have something for everyone. Well, of course you're a busy zombie. I mean, who isn't these days? That's why you're glad TSFPN has collected the best in podcasting all in one convenient place. Not until after you've finished your interview. Well, there you have it, folks. Straight from the zombie's mouth. TSFPN.com. The place for out-of-this-world entertainment. One last note, and a very happy one. Those of us at the Sci-Fi Podcast Network would like to congratulate member shows, The Force.net and Slice of Sci-Fi, for winning this year's People's Choice Awards in their categories. This is the first time the awards have been handed out, and we are overjoyed that these guys won because they work really hard on their shows. And thanks to all of you who went ahead and voted for them. It means a lot. See you in a week.